This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. I know you guys know what this is about. I know. <laughs> So but will you please tell us again, Dad, for the 250th time. The 250th time. This is our 250th episode, which is so wild. We're investors and we are among, I think in my humble opinion, we're, we're doing good. We're, we're good investors and we're good <laughs> investors because we're following the best investors in the world. Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, You're good ben enough, Graham. you're smart enough, and doggone it, people <laughs> like you. And Stuart Smiley has made an appearance finally on our podcast. <laughs> I'm so happy. And um, yeah, and, and people do like us. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> well, they tell me all the time. Oh, Not in the that, street, that of course. must be but, it then. <laughs> oh, man. Not in the street, but at the workshops, they, they tell me, they tell, actually, you know what they tell me? Honest to God, I, I'm, I'm not making this up. They tell me they like you. That's what oh. they tell me. Well, they tell I me they like you. Definitely believe that. But. I can't remember anybody telling me they like me particularly, but they always tell me they like you. And they, that's why they're starting to be investors is because Danielle convinced them they could do it. There you go. I love it. Pretty cool. We are cool. making a difference. Making and we are in the middle of answering of a question. Oh, yeah. Okay, that means from, I need to... From one of our listeners who is amazingly coming from all the way from Australia, flying to San Diego, California to um, go to our next three-day workshop. So we gave him a scholarship and off he goes in an airplane for 22 hours to get there. So that's pretty impressive. And let's, let's hear the question. You got it? Sure. Let me just pull that okay, up she's there. She's queuing that up. As so we got started on the answer to this question, which is about events, um, by sort of diving into what really constituted an event. But that's not really the point of the question. The point is, I know what constitutes an event. How do I find out that it's happening? Where, You're right. Where do you look? We just to get needed to sort of start at the base so that everybody understood where we were coming from. But of course, yeah, with us, it's sort of got, never simple. And we wandered into that. Okay, I'm ready now. Here we go with Toby's question. Hey, Phil and Danielle. This is Toby from Melbourne, Australia. Phil, I'm really looking forward to attending your event at the end of January in San Diego, uh, 2020. So my question is, what are the resources that you're using to locate events and to get information on events? So something major like, um, like Boeing at the moment is a bit of a standout and I believe that's probably reality because it's um, it affects people's lives and people have lost their lives. But for other companies um, where the information is not in the news all the time, 
where are you getting your information? And then where are you getting the information when you really want to go into depth about those events? Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Toby. This is so awesome. So let's assume we figure out that an event is fear, causing fear, and it's something that's going to last between, you know, Danielle's view is six months to two years. My view is one year to three years, but you get the idea. It's a longer term thing, but not terminal. It's going to stop. The event will be fixed. And so here's some examples of that that have happened that I've invested in over time. Um, Burlington Northern Railroad started dropping like a brick because President Obama got elected into office and started threatening the coal industry with eradication. And Burlington Northern is a railroad that delivers coal Mm. from the Wyoming coal fields to Atlanta. So fear they're going to wipe out a huge piece of this company's revenue. All right. Another See, one now was, that uh, one, we just argued about fear last week, but that one, I will give you, that actually sounds like fear because yeah. that's a, we don't know what's going to happen here situation right. and I'm too uncertain. So I want out of this. That's fear. Yep. That was, that was very scary Yeah, um, for, for, <laughs> for people who owned it. And then Warren Buffett jumped in and started buying the heck out of it. And so did I. And then it doubled because Buffett bought the entire company. So now he mm-hmm. owns Burlington Northern Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. All right, so there's one. Um, there's a well in the Gulf of Mexico called the Macondo Well, owned by BP, an oil and gas company, and um, operated by Halliburton, a mud company and, and a services company, and by Transocean, who owned the rig. And it blew up, killed 11 people in this horrific accident, and it was spewing oil for weeks into the Gulf of Mexico. Big ecological disaster, environmental mess, governmental potential lawsuits, uh, you know, disaster. A lot of fear. And so BP, BP and those other two companies, and by the way, almost every, every company that I'm aware of that was in the drilling business in the Gulf of Mexico, stock dropped like a brick. Every one of them, even if they had nothing to do with this well at all, just on the fear of of intervention by the government interfering over time. Yeah, the fear was that drilling in the Gulf would be shut down, full stop. Right, and And that BP would be um, litigated out of business, essentially out of business. Yeah, they would have to declare bankruptcy and so on. So Mm -hmm. those that was that was the fear, and. and we'll come back to the deep dive into the information. Where do you get the information? That's part of the question. To, conf- to, to confirm for yourself that this is a, sh- a non-terminal event that's going to get fixed. All right, we'll come back to that. Um, we talked about Gildan last time with the Arab Spring. Uh, Chipotle is a famous one on this mm-hmm. podcast with people puking in their restaurants. Um, so, you know, there's, these things tend to be, I guess, in the partial answer to the question, um, when there is a... Uh, a really good event that's creating real fear and it is really clearly not terminal, um, that's an enormous opportunity to invest as a long-term investor. And the chances are that that's going to be front page. I would say that the vast majority of the things I know about, I got because they became front page news. Yeah, because that's Toby's question, really. He's like, you know, with Boeing, it's obvious to him. He's getting the information. He understands it, et cetera. But he's wondering where to find more obscure events. And and I think you're right. Like, I'm, I'm not really tend to, I'm think, trying to think of some obscure event that I actually ended up investing in. And, um, and yeah, I think, okay, I think so, it could happen with a smaller company, like a small cap stock. 
And I think it could happen with something that's not so national in scope. You know, maybe it's more regional, more local. It's a smaller company. They're more focused on a particular region. And that wouldn't be front page news. I'll give you one. I'll give you one. There's, I'm not going to tell you the name of this company because we're still trying to buy into it. But um, this is a, a company that experienced a big miss on its earnings report. Mm. Big, big miss. Um, created by a problem which pretty much none of the investors thought this company would ever have. Mm. And it had it. It had it. It came out of nowhere. Big earnings miss. And you know, a big mea culpa by the CEO and a big firing of one of the major guys and a big crisis, okay? And yet this wasn't particularly front page news. It's a relatively small company. Um, I didn't pick up on this in the, in the Wall Street Journal, all right? This was, this was, I picked up on because I was looking for this kind of a company. This is in an area that I like. Um, and I'm digging along through a variety of companies and I'm tracking this one. I'm, 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 this has happened to be on my, not my watch list cause I'm not ready to buy it kind of a list, but the, let's do, let's go, let's go deeper on this than the surface level rejection. This is too hard or it's not going to mm-hmm. work. This mm-hmm. one was like, yeah, it's passing all the tests. And, um, and then this happened and ironically, because it hadn't gotten to the watch list stage, I hadn't finished the checklist yet, I missed my opportunity to jump in on this when Ooh. the price really cratered Ooh. down below the margin of safety. What I ultimately decided was the margin of safety price. I was a couple months late to the party where I finally could you know, really be confident that this was a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so had I had my homework done earlier and this thing had happened, I would have been able to dig in deep enough in the time it took me to do the digging and conclude what I concluded, which is, is not terminal. This is a short-term problem. And um, I would have nailed that thing at a great price. As it was, I started buying in, you know, maybe 20% above that price. So, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm trying to work, work it down to where I'm at a, at a margin of safety price. So, that's uh, yeah. That's an example of one that didn't make it to the to the press, and yet was definitely an event to a specific company. Yeah, you know, yeah. very much like the Macondo Well in its own industry. I mean, I think so, that with those types of companies, you have to find the information about a given event in the same kind of way that you would find any kind of information about smaller companies, which is you just really have to look for it. You have to read the more local papers. You have to Google a bunch, try to Google the, this is what I do. I Google the people running the company, try to see if there's like any info about them um, online on Glassdoor, anywhere like that, where you can just get some scuttlebutt as they say um, about the company. And in that way you can find stuff if there's an event going on about what's going on. But it's hard. I mean, there's a reason that little investors like us tend to invest in the bigger companies because we don't have access to um, a lot of information about the smaller ones. Okay. So Toby, um, we can talk about this more in San Diego and I think it's a real good subject and we do get deeply into events on day one where we'll dive into this more. But um, I think the answer is that you're going to be doing a lot of reading as an investor, 
um, and you're going to be rejecting companies and, and uh, mostly, and then you're going to be holding on to some companies. And as you hold on to these companies, what you're really waiting for, particularly in this market, is you're waiting for that event to happen. So there can be companies on your watch list for 10 years mm-hmm. that you can't buy. Mm-hmm. You just kind of stay up on them. You want to own them, but they don't ever have an event sufficient to drive them to an on-sale price. And then something happens, typically in the entire economy, is what will put these things on sale. And that's when, especially if they're a smaller company, they react much more strongly to an economic event like in a, re- a big recession. These smaller companies will will be hit harder in terms of their stock price than the bigger ones. Um, and uh, just because the the whole movement of money is not a good reason for it other than the movement of big institutional money rotates out of the more volatile stocks called the Russell Index into the less volatile big companies, uh, the S&P 500 and the Dow. And that rotation of capital has nothing to do with this wonderful business that's just a little smaller. Yeah. And it gets hammered. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. like the money comes rolling out of there. And, yeah. you know, the rest of the market's down 35, 40%. And this, this company's down 60. And so those are the opportunities to jump in that are, are really easy to spot. And those are, will be, you know, that's obviously front page news. Hey, we're in a recession and everything's going on sale and the stock market sucks. Don't invest in the stock market. It's time. Or, or you'll be hearing the screaming from the rooftops of all the financial industry of like, stay in, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. <laughs> of course, they are all getting out. They're right? the it's ones like, that are selling. They're, <laughs> they're the reason selling. the market is crashing. <laughs> <laughs> what they really mean is don't take your money out of my fund. Yeah. Whatever exactly. you do, because I get paid a percentage of the, <laughs> of the assets under management. So please leave your money with me and I will take care of you. And meanwhile, of course, the entire market's down 35, 40%. You yeah. just, and you just want to pull your hair out if you're, you're getting near retirement. So that's, that's really, I think, the answer to your question, Toby, and is that you're going to do a lot of reading. You're going to stack up a really good watch list. You're going to keep track of those. And you're going to wait patiently for the fluctuations created by big macro movements in the market, like a recession, to bring these things on sale, which just don't go on sale otherwise because they don't have any fear around them. I think also, as far as um, finding out more detailed information about companies that aren't national and international news, having access to a good financial reporting source is important, as opposed to like a a sort of general newspaper like the New York Times, um, which has a business section, but really is not a business newspaper. Having access to like the Financial Times or Barron's or the Wall Street Journal or... Um, what's another one, Dad? I don't know. Those are the three that I think of as financial great Times, financial Journal, sources. Barons, Forbes, Fortune. Forbes, for, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Wired 2.0 is good. Inc. Magazine. Having those like, exactly. So having those business-oriented sources will give a lot more info about smaller companies and about events that aren't going to be on the front page of the New York Times or, you know, whatever the big newspaper is in Australia. But you'll be able to get the, the info um, from people whose job it is, is to seek out this kind of financial reporting. So I think paying, you're going to have to pay for that. And I think paying for that is useful. Yep. And I would say too, um, I think it might be appropriate to mention that we don't really 
have to buy public companies that are going through an event. We can also buy private companies that are going through an event. Um, we can even buy really small ones, right? I mean, even a small investor can buy a company for a few thousand dollars. If, if it's going through an event, you might be able to find something on sale in your backyard. And we treat these, excuse me, we treat these purchases of private companies exactly the way we treat a public company purchase. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're no different. All the metrics are mm-hmm. the same. The biggest difference is you're going to be able to have a lot of influence on that company the way an activist investor would have mm-hmm. on, uh, on, a, on a public company. And, um, and you may even want to be the manager. You may even want to combine management. I've done that in the past. When you were a little kid, you know, growing up, I was, I was the CEO of one of the companies I had invested in for a short <laughs> period of time. And they sent me to Harvard to, to learn how to do that, where I discovered that was a kind of a joke, actually. Did you know that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So, any case, the, the world of investment possibilities is not limited to public companies. And I'm, I'm mentioning that now, and I'm going to give you some categories in a second, because I think that it's not impossible that the federal bank interventions worldwide, right, central bank interventions in China and Japan in uh, Europe and in America are massive and unprecedented in history. Um, mm. We have currency that's not connected to gold. Uh, it's not connected to something that's, that's difficult to replicate. Uh, which makes it difficult to debase the currency and and cause inflation. Our currencies are connected to each other, and these are called mm. fiat currencies. Their 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 value is just relative to everybody else, and um, and as a result, these central banks are papering the world with paper money. I mean, the U.S. central bank put four trillion dollars into the market ten years ago, and they're continuing to buy assets now. <clears throat> They're doing the same thing in Europe uh, to the tune of trillions. They've done the same thing in Japan to the tune of trillions of dollars. And the result of that somehow is not inflation because this 2009 meltdown was so severe, I guess, or because automation is driving down wages or because old age in Japan and America is driving down wages, lower birth rate driving down wages in Europe. There's a lot of different social and economic events going on here that is permitting something that Warren Buffett and Bill Gates were talking about, not and Charlie Munger were talking about not too long ago. They were just sitting there going, oh, this, this really shouldn't be happening. You know, we, we shouldn't be having these kinds of trillions of dollars come into the market and not see inflation. It's not. And so yeah. either we're that's in a why different people, world. That's what people keep saying. This is a whole new economic ball game that makes no sense to anybody who follows the laws of supply and demand. Right. We just, we are just in unprecedented territory. And, um, one way to, uh, avoid buying companies that are too expensive because they're being driven up, uh, by all of this money is all this money trying to chase yield, right? When a, in a bond rate, that's 1%, 2%, you've got a real problem in the world is all this money is chasing these assets. There's a limited number of them and the prices are going up. So, you know, what, what can you do? Well, you could take a look at private companies. You might be able to find some small ones, right. That are not being, uh, not, not chasing private equity money, nothing that size, but something small. I mean, we're talking, I'm talking small, like laundromats. I'm talking small, like buy a townhome, 
and and get it at a good price and rent it out. You know, buy a buy a Victorian house and and carve a you know make it really nice on the outside, carve it up into a fourplex, and rent it out at a twelve cap return. So there. We're, we're, we're getting where it's probably useful to talk about that now because I don't know that this is going to collapse right soon. Yeah. You know? Totally. There's no way to know that. I mean, I have it's, to caution against private companies just a little bit. I just have to. It's, it, there's a huge difference between private companies and public companies in their reporting. And oh, yes. public companies have to adhere to standards set forth by the regulatory agency of the market on which they sit. And if they do not adhere to those regulatory standards of reporting their financials, then the CFO and the CEO can go to jail. They also right. can get kicked off. They can have fines. It's a very big penalty. So they still sometimes do it, but they tend not to. And that's what lets us, the small general little guy investor, be able to trust these numbers that they put out publicly. And that's why it's so hard to go public also. It's very expensive. And we've talked about that a bunch. Private companies don't have any of those standards or regulations the CEO will not go to jail, most likely, <laughs> if he lies to you about something in the accounting that turns out to be fraud. You could try, but it's unlikely. And, you know, you just have to really be buyer beware on um, on private companies. And so that's what, what why... What Daniel said is, has become... What, what's the right word? It's, it's just a cautionary tale. It exists... Almost without exception, <laughs> there are skeletons in the closet of private companies yeah. that you will only discover after you own it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Of some sort. And, and sometimes they're irritating. Um, and sometimes they're completely terminal problems that yeah. this owner tried to get away from. And by the way, that happens to public companies too. So totally. This, this is, oh my gosh, I'm, I, I think we've talked on here about... Uh, uh, Chicago Bridge and Iron buying Shaw and inheriting the problems of the nuclear power construct nuclear power plant construction um, that Shaw was running that ultimately yeah, I wiped out Shaw. This. Yeah, because oh I remember gosh, it was it, it was seen up, as a potentially big opportunity for investors, and right, and did not work out. That was one of and those events Berkshire, that did not work out. Right. Right. This was the one where, you know, Berkshire bought in and then as they got deeper into it, they sold out. I don't think it was Buffett. It was probably Todd or Ted, but I they got out of I love how we blame any mistakes on Todd or Ted. <laughs> <laughs> it was little, so I'm not going to blame it on Warren. But, um, and we got in there and then got out because something was going on and we couldn't figure out what it was. And so we, we, we bailed. So that started to look terminal, like permanently terminal. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it turned out to be permanently terminal. Mm -hmm. It wiped out Shaw completely. So this subsidiary that they paid $3 billion for um, or $2 billion something got wiped out. It was worthless. They just took all that money and burned it in the, in the, in the, in the driveway. A couple billion dollars. And Chicago Bridge and Iron never recovered from it and was acquired at a song by, I don't remember who bought them. But, yeah, um, I just remember it sort of petered out and I never heard from them again. So that's what happened. Yeah. They and got acquired. The, yeah. And the guy that sold Shaw to, to Chicago Bridge and Iron, Scott Free, walked away oh, super rich. Of course. Because <laughs> when does that ever happen? Still oh, trying to figure every out. Every single time. Yeah. 
I'm still trying to figure out how he did it, though. So, <laughs> I mean, these guys have lawyers, and somehow he got away with it. I don't know how he got away with it. So, um, yeah, yeah. When you buy a company, you really are on the hook to make sure you know what you got. And um, and so Danielle is 100 right. You have to assume that everything you're being told is a lie. In my view. And by the way, you should do that with a piece of real estate too, right? I mean, you shouldn't just blithely roll in there and assume that this forty-year-old yeah, building true. you're buying has a good, you know, good foundation that the roof is fine just because somebody tells you it is or it looks like it is. Yeah, you got to do your homework and you got to understand what you're buying. But you are hundred percent right, Danielle, that uh, public companies have a big gun at the head of the executives to make sure that they are telling you everything. And so they lie a little differently. They like more cleverly. Yeah. Um, they, you know. I'm not trying to imply that public companies are fantastically on the up and up and we should absolutely trust every single number that they put out because right. that is not at all true. But, right. um, but the point of all the regulations around public companies is so that a small investor can, in theory trust the numbers they put out and right the same protections do not exist with private companies. So since we know that public companies can manipulate their accounting, we have boiled down what we focus on and when you uh, to the cash, we want to see the cash flow. So the old story is, you know, you want to figure out what's going on, follow the money, right? Yeah. And um, the money in a company isn't the earnings. That's just a, an accounting fiction. Mm -hmm. The money is what's going in and out of the bank, right? And that's cash flow. And that's where you can figure out what's really going on with a private business, public businesses. I think, you know, read. Mm, that's re, a great point. Re, re, that's a really good point. You know, reread what I wrote, I don't know, however, <laughs> a dec over a decade ago in rule number one about GM, about how screwed up their their cash flow was mm -hmm. and that they, it turns out if you looked at their cash flow, it's obvious, like you couldn't miss it, that they were borrowing the money that they were using to pay the dividends. God. And if just... you see that, run away, <laughs> run away. <laughs> Somebody, I mean, they're basically lying to their shareholders yeah but in a totally legal way right like but in a totally legal way it's totally fine to do that in theory yeah. yeah it's just in practice completely immoral and makes no sense <laughs> <laughs> and there they were one of the biggest companies in the world just lying away and you could see the bankruptcy coming for years ahead of time so this is uh what you want to do with private companies as well you want to get to the bank accounts you know, mm. the, the, the books that they show you, mm -hmm. right, worth, worth looking at. Maybe they're not lying, but assume they are and get the bank accounts. If they don't show you the bank accounts, they don't show you the monthly statements, they don't show you, and then you can reconstitute the cash flow. They may not have ever built one because many small businesses don't, but you can build it out of their bank accounts. And you will discover in a lot of these companies, they're not getting anything like the money coming through there that they say they are, mm. right? Uh, yeah, and so always, always come back to cash, you guys, when you're when you're doing this kind of stuff, and always assume whether it's a public company or a private company that you you're going to have some manipulation going on there. Don't just take it at face value, and that's why we teach you the way we teach you because it's very hard for companies to manipulate 
um, the uh, four big numbers that we look at for growth rates. Very hard for them to manipulate all of them and particularly hard to manipulate the cash flow. Well, and I feel like this is a good point to say that this show is for education and entertainment only, and these are our (laughs) opinions, and you should not take action based on them. You should make your own opinion and talk to your own financial advisor because we do not know your financial situation in any way, shape, or form. So do not listen to us. Do you agree, Dad? (laughs) I agree. I agree. That was my lawyer speaking. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, this is entertainment. Um, and this is, by the way, we're, we're saying that because... But that's why it's so important Jim- for me to say over and over, private companies are dangerous. Be really careful because for real, like, yeah, that's super important. You should listen investing to me on that in, part. The rest of it, you don't and, have to listen to me on. <laughs> and, and, let me, and let me just say, investing in anything you don't fully understand is dangerous. Yeah. yeah just of don't course. do it. Of in fact, invest only in those things, only in businesses that you understand as well as most people would understand buying a rental house in their own neighborhood. Yeah. You live there. You know, the schools are good. You know, the, you know, the environment's good for growth. The, the town or the county is growing. You know, long term, this is going to be good. As long as you buy something with a decent foundation and a roof, you're going to be fine. Right? Yeah, as long and as you can hold you on to it price. for a long time. Yeah, you just hold on to it for a long time and you'll be good. I remember this one guy who became very wealthy buying land um, in the islands, which I thought was interesting, down you know, in Turks and Caicos and different islands like that. Hmm. And um, his, his strategy was just to buy the best piece of land. And then he said... And then time takes care of all my mistakes. Ooh, I love that line. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So if you pay too much, <laughs> the fact that you have a quality property, you know, it might take 25 years before you get your money back, but you're not going to lose your money. Yeah. Whereas if you buy stuff that you don't fully understand and it's not quality and you know, the thing yeah, is, you got to be able to sit there for that 25 years. And so many people mortgage themselves to the point where it's a real stretch. And, right. you know, if you lose a job, you suddenly can't maintain that property for 25 years. That's the danger zone. That's the danger zone. And of course, when you're buying raw land, that's exactly the area you're going to be dealing with. Either you're raising capital and buying things for cash, but most people don't. They, they put it on a note and then hope they can pay it off. And that's why we want to buy companies that have low debt. They, companies are very much like people. They, they over leverage, they get too much debt, and that's when they get in trouble. You can take an otherwise really solid family, add too much debt, and it doesn't matter that they've got good jobs. Mm-hmm. The yeah. debt kills them. Yeah. And the same thing with a company. It, it, it doesn't matter that it's a great company. doesn't matter that it's got a wonderful moat. doesn't matter any of that stuff. They get too much debt. Mm-hmm. They go under. Mm-hmm. Totally, it's, and it's sad, but it's true. So, um, any case, let's uh, let's wrap up. And I have an idea. I hope you agree with this. This is going to be fun. <laughs> I think, as we have a checklist in um, in invested in the hardback, it's on. It starts on page uh, one forty four. You call it your checklist, and it's really kind of going through Charlie's four principles in a in a series of check things mm-hmm. to check off for each principle. Yeah. And we also kind of have a, uh, a reverse checklist back on uh, page 233 where we have a checklist for expensive errors, which is a kind of an anti-checklist mm-hmm. or something to look at mm-hmm. to make sure you don't screw up. Mm-hmm. But I've also built a checklist that we use in the workshop and it's really 
more detailed than those mm. and incorporates a lot of both of those. I thought maybe we should go through that. Let's. Now, it might take a while. We might be at this for, I hope we don't, I, let's do one. And if it seems really boring, <laughs> I don't want to put something out there for the next 10 weeks. It's just killing everybody. <laughs> right? No, so, we don't want to do that. We don't want to kill anybody including myself. No. I definitely don't want to right. be killed. Um, right. But so let me go back to this. our events because as you were mentioning the, first of all, love the idea. Secondly, regarding right. the events, you mentioned these four companies and that you wanted to talk about how you evaluated the events that they went through, how you knew that they were going to come out of them. There was Burlington Northern, Gildan, BP, and Chipotle. Did you want oh, to hit those Did you have quick? more things to say about those? Yeah, let me just say, this is only just a couple seconds. It's, oh. like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> I, thought, so, I thought it was going to be like an episode per... No, I think it has to be fairly obvious, okay? I think it really does have to be fairly obvious. All right, so Gildan, it's really simple. Cotton takes one season to grow. And so if cotton prices are going through the roof because maybe cotton uh, won't be harvested in Egypt because of the revolution, then I know that Georgia will plant cotton from one border to the next, and it can fill in the world's cotton supply very quickly. And um, because of that, cotton prices have never stayed sky high for very long, unless there's just a, a like a civil war or something, right? There's a war going on for years, then they will. But there's none of that happening. And so you know the price is going to recover within a year or two. No question. Okay, that's Gildan. Okay. Any questions about that one? No. No, that's pretty simple. All right, the Macondo well, that was harder. That took a little bit of digging. Um, but here's what I came to the, the conclusion that I could invest in this company. And Jim Cramer was saying that BP might go bankrupt. BP is the most invested company for retirees in Great Britain. It is the basis for a lot of retirement portfolios in terms of their dividends coming off of, of BP. It's one of the most important companies in England. And there is no way that England would allow America diplomatically to put this company under uh, of some sort of revenge government legislation. It just mm -hmm. wasn't going to happen. And in well, fact, interesting you know, analysis. I, yeah, I think Eric Holder pushed it farther than he should have. I mean, it's insane trying to punish a company for making a mistake um, because they're they're spewing oil into the Gulf of Mexico, which sounds horrible. Except the Gulf of Mexico spews its own oil. It has cracks in the floor, and they oil comes out of them. And it's okay. So you thought that anyway, the law situation was not going to devastate the company. I thought number one, they're certainly going to fix the well leak, and and then I didn't think the government was going to put them under. All right, that's that one. Um, Chipotle Mexican Grill, we've talked about that a lot. The puking in the restaurants goes away for every company that's ever had E. coli mm -hmm. poisoning. They always get over it. They fix the problem, and it's over. And in fact, when I started investing in in uh, Chipotle again. They'd already fixed it. The problem happened in 2015. Uh, the stock started dropping, but it got really low in 2018. Mm -hmm. So m many months later. Um, and by the way, it also really helps to see big, great investors jumping in on this stuff. And in all three of these cases, other investors were climbing in there. In the case of Chipotle, Bill Ackman was putting in 10% of his fund, mm -hmm. which is a lot of money, almost a billion dollars. So um, those three. What was the fourth one? Burlington Northern. About? Burlington Northern. That was the coal fields. And when you dig into Burlington Northern, <clears throat> just a little bit into their 10K, which is the annual report, it shows that the, the minority, only a quarter of its business was coming out of the coal mines. Mm -hmm. 
of Wyoming. 75% of it was freight coming out of China. And that was the Long Beach to Chicago run. So I looked at the numbers and... And number one, I thought there's no way that we can simply shift off of coal overnight. So Burlington's going to have this coal going to Atlanta for a long time in the future, even if the coal industry goes away. And the vast majority of their revenues and profit are coming from something unrelated to this at all. Hmm. So I think the the people who were bailing out of it just had it wrong. So those were the those were the four four of those. The easiest was Chipotle. And the second easiest was Gildan with the, with the cotton. Those two. Okay, next no-brainers. time before the checklist, I want to hear one event that you got wrong, where you <laughs> where you thought, this oh, is, this I, is totally going to turn around. That lawsuit's uh, not going to go through. Oh, the coal industry's it. never going to disappear. I want to hear one where you don't got it. Want to do it? <laughs> okay, you can think about it <laughs> over the next week. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And you're allowed All to right, say then no. I've got a week to figure it out about and how then... to say something bad about myself and then have an excuse. <laughs> no, no excuses. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, and until, then, until uh, then huh? and then we'll talk about checklists because I love that. I'm super okay. into getting my checklist to be better. All right, we try to figure out how to do checklists so it's actually entertaining. I don't know how we're going to do that. But checklists are awesome, so let's You let's know, if think we make it. investing entertaining, surely we can make checklists entertaining. <laughs> I hope so. Otherwise, <laughs> dang, we're going we're gonna to really have some upset people. It's just going right, to be me. As long as I'm entertained, then you know we're doing good. That's all that matters. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I wish I could say the same thing, but I'm so entertained when I'm talking. <laughs> Clear. Clear to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Until then. All right. Time thanks, to go play. everybody. Bye. See you. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.